This message by Chad Porter, entitled Persevere, was recorded at Wellspring Church on August 25th, 2019. The text for this message is Jude, verses 17 through 23. The sermon is um, from Jude, verse 17 through 23. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, w- waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This is the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we once again are thankful this morning for Your Word. We are thankful that You have spoken to us clearly by the apostles and prophets. We pray for Your guidance. We pray for Your help. We pray for Your Spirit to illuminate our minds, to quicken our hearts, and to drive down deeply within us what you are saying to us through your word here this morning. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a, um, there's a TV show that I have no idea if it's still like actively being produced or not, and I have very mixed feelings about it. It's called, I think, something like, What Would You Do? I don't know if anybody's ever... Anybody remember Candid Camera? That's really old. Um, Candid Camera was like this hidden camera show that you basically like prank people and stuff like that. Uh, uh, well, what would you do is it's a hidden camera show, but it's less like pranks and more like they, they create fake like moral quandary situations and they videotape people walking into them to see like what they would do. And so it could be that they have somebody that's like, shoplifting, you know, and they, so they have like an actor coming, he's pretending to shoplift something and they're watching people like watch this person steal something. And so the whole thing is like, what would you do in that situation? And then they, they like confront them afterwards and they say like, oh, you know, if they, and then they are are faced with their either eternal shame because they didn't do anything or their excitement or, you know, relief because it wasn't a real situation. And some of them are like, you know, stealing and stuff like that. Some of them are just like weird, more weird, uh, you know, just Odd, more odd situations. Some of them are intense. Like they've had, uh, um, like a guy and a girl arguing, like really loud, and the guy being like verbally abusive to the woman. And so they're trying to see, like, so it gets pretty intense sometimes. But then they kind of confront them, and it always feels, I, I don't know. It, I have really mixed feelings about this show. It makes me super uncomfortable because I feel like they create this artificial environment, and then they almost like make light of it and say, I don't know, it just feels really weird to me. So you're like, why in the world are you talking about this show? Uh, the, the reason why I bring it up is because I think what the show plays off of and the, re- and just hidden camera shows in general, uh, 
It's the necessary connection between our actions and our hearts. Like the connection between what we do and what we believe. What we think and what we say and what we actually do. Uh, Sung knows, anybody else uh, knows familiar with the Air Force? The Air Force has three core values. Integrity first, service before self, excellence in all we do. And integrity, it's, it's, ba- it's beaten into you. What is integrity? Sung asked me this question when uh, at Vision Night or something like that. <laughs> you were doing your uh, member's introduction. He put me on the spot, but I remember because the Air Force indoctrinated me well. Uh, integrity is uh, doing the right thing when no one's looking. Right? And this whole idea of how would you be, what do your actions say about what you feel, about what you believe, about what you value? And we talk about that often. We talked about that last week. We talk about it uh, a lot because the Bible talks about it a lot. And this morning in particular in Jude, we've been preaching and thinking through this book for the, this is the third week. We will finish it out next week. Um, but this week is really a follow on to last week. And it drives home the point that our salvation in Jesus compels us to reach in and to reach out. That is, our salvation in Christ Jesus compels us, prompts us, makes us, causes us to both reach into our own lives and community and to reach out to those outside of our lives and our community. And so we'll see this from our text this morning and we'll, we'll uh, think about it through just two main headings this morning. The first is our great calling and the second is our sure confidence. So great calling and sure confidence. Let's begin with our great calling. As I mentioned, we've been uh, looking at the book of Jude thus far. If you remember, we had the first week we looked at the greeting, just the first two verses where Jude really sets the context for who he's writing to and what it's going to be about. He reminds the church who they are in Christ. And then last week was filled with a bunch of like denunciations, a bunch of strong language about the situation that's going on in the church that Jude's writing to. There's been false teachers that have sneakily and quietly infiltrated the church. People who weren't immediately noticed because they were preaching some wildly crazy doctrine or something, but rather people who perverted the grace of God by acting in licentiousness or acting in disobedience, pretending that there is no law to obey. People who put by their own dreams, they put invested their own dreams, their own personal visions with divine authority and used that to justify behavior that was out of step with the gospel. And so Jude is writing here to kind of wake the church up to this reality and to say this is a big deal for everyone. It affects not just the individuals who are in danger of judgment, but it affects the whole community. And that's what we talked about last week. And then this week, he kind of gives a way forward. He says, now in light of this, in light of the situation, here is what the Lord is calling you to do. Here is your great calling. And specifically, Jude calls the church that he's writing to and by implication, us, to three things in our great calling. Three things. And the first 
is found in verse 17. You can look at that again, and it's to remember. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Jude calls first the people of the church to remember. And to remember specifically the the foretold prophecies of the apostles and the prophets. Jude doesn't quote a specific passage here. He doesn't quote a specific Old Testament prophecy or anything like that. There's debate on whether or not, and it doesn't matter for the, for the true intention of the text, there's debate on whether or not he's kind of quoting just a summary of a number of different passages, or if he's quoting maybe the apostles' in-person teaching to the church that he's visited. We don't really know the background, but uh, that's not fully... Um, important for us to nail down. What Jude is saying is remember what has been taught to you and passed down to you by the apostles and the prophets. The faith that has once for all been delivered to the saints, which he talked about earlier in verse 3. And he says, remember that nothing strange is happening. There can be a temptation to the people, Jude knows, when they hear about that things are totally different than what they seem, to feel like things are out of control. When you feel like There's this false teaching, there's this problem in your community that you had no idea existed. It can feel very like uneasy, unnerving, especially when Jude is talking about here, these people are in liable judgment. These people are liable to condemnation. Like there's this is a big deal what's going on. He wants to remind the people, remember that nothing strange is happening here. Don't count it strange, as Peter talks about, when you endure various trials and struggles. Or again, 2 Peter, uh, he writes, Remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers or mockers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Nothing strange is happening in terms of what God has planned or what God knows about. God is in control, even though there's been kind of brought up that there, the church is in danger, that something is wrong. Nothing strange is happening. Remember the apostles and the prophets and what they told you. That's the first thing that Jude calls the people to do, is to remember. And the second, remember I said there are three things, is to reach in. So remember, this nothing strange is happening. And the second, reach in. A number of uh, you know we went to Africa last month. Thank you to everyone who came out last week to our uh, our um, presentation after service. It was a great time to get to talk and tell you a little bit about what we did. Uh, but one thing that we uh, entail, or that our trip entailed, was a lot of time on planes, as you know. And if you remember, if you've been on a plane, which I'm, I'm sure many people or most people in here have, you know the uh, there's the like pre-flight safety briefing thing that no one listens to anymore. <laughs> uh, you've got the flight attendants going, and they're giving you the you know buckle your seatbelts and yada yada. Some some of them do it on videos now and stuff like that. But uh, what do they say about oxygen masks? If you have a kid with you, oftentimes they're like. They'll come up and they'll interrupt you and they'll be like, 
Hey, you need to listen. You need, you remember, did you hear what I said? And that is, if the oxygen masks come down, secure your own before helping others, right? Secure your own before putting it on your kids. Secure your own before reaching out and stuff like that. And it's similar here. Jude calls the people to remember nothing strange is happening. This has been predicted that this would come, that people like this would come. And now reach in. And that is secure your own faith in your own community. Remember what God has said and look into your own life of faith, to your own community's life of faith and what is going on there. And specifically, how do you reach in? He gives us four things that He's calling us to do to reach in. And it's beginning in verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. The Greek is a little bit interesting here. It's translated pretty literally like we just read. Building yourselves, praying, waiting. The only kind of command is to keep yourself in the Lord. But uh, it's actually communicating four commands like that. Build yourselves up. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Wait for the mercy of Christ Jesus that leads to eternal life. So he gives us these four commands, first off, by way of reaching into our own lives and our own community. The first is build yourselves up. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith, or you might say it, build yourselves up upon the foundation of your most holy faith. And by most holy faith, he means the holy faith that has been once for all given to the saints, delivered to the saints like he talked about in verse 3, which is the Word of God. That is how our holy faith has been delivered to the saints. And so here he first turns to build yourselves up in the Word of God. Build yourselves up upon that foundation of which you have received at great cost to so many who have come before you. Dive deeply into God's Word. Meditate on God's Word. As Psalm 119 says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your Word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The first call that Jude calls us to is remember. The second is to reach in. And the first way we reach in is to build ourselves up, dive deeply into the Word of God. And so we talk about, like, people often... Uh, um, I read a quote recently that I'm going to butcher because I didn't write it down from Bono, of all, of all people. And it was something like, religion as I conceive of it is when God leaves and people write up a bunch of rules in His place or something like that. And that could be the, the idea that maybe you come in here with that mindset. Maybe you were raised in that mindset. Maybe you're not a Christian and that's how it feels. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and it's still how it feels. Is that like Christianity is kind of a list of rules to keep its good conduct, its bad conduct. But that's, that's certainly not what we're up against here. We don't say, read your Bible as, all right, you need to find yourself a Bible reading plan, you need to have your quiet time, although those are very good things. We, we don't say this as just a, a checklist of things to do. But the Bible talks about reading the Bible not just because it's trying to give you something to do, but because life 
is contingent upon God's Word. Your life and your health, my life and my health, my very well-being of our souls is contingent. We were made to dive deeply into God's Word. You could spend a lifetime in this book and you will never even come close to mining the depths and the glories and the beauty of it. As you've known, if you've walked with Christ for any length of time, you could be a Christian for 40 years and you could read something that you have quite literally read a hundred times and never seen the beauty of the Lord like you did there. This Word is meant to be soaked in. It's meant to be meditated upon. It's meant to be hidden in our hearts because it's our source of life, because it's how we get God. This is how God speaks to us is through His Word. So the first calling to reach in is building ourselves up upon the foundation of the Word of God. The second, pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Notice how in uh, verse uh, 18, how the false teachers are described. In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. The false teachers, the heretics that are in their midst are kind of characterized by the absence of the Spirit and be by living their lives purely at this natural realm. They don't have the Spirit, and that's what characterizes them. What characterizes God's people? Praying in the Holy Spirit. As Paul points out in Romans 8, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The church is marked by the Word, a deep concern in founding our lives upon the Word, and it's, and it's marked by prayer in the Holy Spirit instigated by the Spirit, guided by the Spirit, formed by the Spirit, connecting with the Lord through the Spirit, word and prayer. That's essentially what we are doing today. Almost everything that we do on a Sunday morning can be broken down into word and prayer. We sing God's Word back to Him, be it literally from the Scriptures or paraphrased in contemporary songs. We speak God's Word from the pulpit and from the Scripture readings throughout the service. We speak the truth in love to one another as we fellowship, exhorting and encouraging and admonishing one another what we find in the Word. The Word and the Spirit, the Word and prayer is what we do as the people of God. And it's the second thing that Jude calls us to remember in our lives. Build yourselves up upon the Word of God. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Third, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. This could be a bit confusing, potentially. We'll talk about this more in a minute, but you remember the first sermon that we did? The first message from the beginning, we talked about God's love being the source of our faith, the source of its beginning and the source of its finishing, of Him keeping us, for the day of Christ Jesus. And then here, Jude follows it back up with saying, keep yourselves in the love of God. 
One thing to remember as you're looking at Scripture, Scripture is consistent with itself. Scripture is consistent with itself. And when we find passages that are difficult to understand or when we have questions that arise in our minds, we need to understand Scripture in light of Scripture. If God truly is the ultimate author of the Bible, then He has spoken clearly and consistently throughout its pages. And so what the Bible is not saying here is that you can now lose your salvation. Jude was not belaboring the point in the first two verses that your salvation is from God and it will be finished by God only to come up in here and be like, so you might lose it. That's not what Jude is saying. The Bible is ultimately and very clear about that in many, many places. What the Lord, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Jude is not trying to warn us that we can lose our salvation here, but he is saying that there is a fight to rest in God's love for us. There is a fight to cling to God's love for us. We cannot lose our salvation. One who has been truly saved will persevere to the end. God will keep those who are truly His until the end. But that does not happen devoid of our actual action. Our action is not ultimate. It is not primary. We are not the source of our salvation. But we are not saved by doing nothing. Like, we are not, that does not, not what Christianity looks like. It is not like signing your name to a card or praying a specific prayer and then like, alright, I'm good. And then just living out your days. Cause that's like that, that, as James says, that faith does not save you. That faith is dead faith. It's not actual faith. True faith shows itself, gives evidence of the fact that it is true by working its way out through love. And Jude reminds us here, build yourselves up upon God's Word. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. These are dangers to the community, remember. There are dangers to our spiritual life. We are being assailed by sins, by the sins of others from outside, by the brokenness of creation and the created order from outside, from our own brokenness that remains within, we need to strive to keep ourselves in the love of God. Fourth way that we are called to reach in is to wait. Wait for the, lo- wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or you might say, hope for the mercy that is there in our Lord Jesus Christ. We are a people who kind of live in this interim time period. We live after the coming of Jesus. We live after He has come and the decisive battle has been won. He has broken the power and the chains of sin and death. And yet we still live in this broken world, in this time between Christ's two comings, where there's an already, but there's a not yet. It's like watching a movie. This is an imperfect analogy. It's like watching a movie that you know the end to. I find myself wanting more and more to just watch movies that I've already seen. Like I, uh, When you have less time to watch movies, I feel like I just want to watch ones that I know are going to be good and I don't want to get to the end of it and be like, man, I just wasted two hours of my life. Um, 
But uh, it's like you're watching a movie that you know the end of, right? You know what's going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. And you can still kind of like enter in and feel the weight of the story. I remember this as a kid. I would still get like anxious when the main character was going through stuff. And there was still like a, a feeling within me of like, oh, it's not going to work out. It's not going to happen. They're going to get hit or they're not going to, you know, they're not going to beat the bad guy or whatever. And I had to like comfort myself. I remember this being like, you know what's going to happen. It's going to be okay. I was like giving myself self-talk or something. Um, we are in this time between the times where we are in the middle of brokenness, we are in the middle of pain, we are in the middle of torment and struggles in our relationships, uh, in our circumstances and situations in many ways, but we know what is coming. We know what is coming. There is a reason that the book of Revelation was written. I mentioned this last week. There's a reason that it was written. It was written to be a profound comfort to the church as we inhabit very difficult times. It was meant to be a sweet comfort, not to be like... It's interesting the book of Revelation says it's meant to reveal. It's like, write these things down that it may be revealed what is happening. When we think of that book, we're like, "Eh, nothing's revealed in there. There's like dragons and beasts and... Things that scare me when I see pictures of them. I don't know. Uh, I can't tell my kids about because they're like, oh, four eyes and stuff. No, it's meant to be a complete and sweet comfort to God's people, saying that the end is sure and God's victory is secure. We are to remember that God is in control. This is not unseen or unknown by Him. We are to reach in, secondly, to our own lives and community by building ourselves up on the Word of God, by praying in the Holy Spirit, by striving to keep ourselves focused and fixed on God's love, and by waiting and hoping for the mercy that is to be revealed to us in Christ Jesus coming again. And this is a group project. This is a group task. This is a group homework assignment that has been given to us. There's an individual aspect to it for sure, but there's profoundly group implications. There's reasons like Hebrew 3 talks about, do not neglect to exhort, admonish one another every day as long as it is called today so you might not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Or like we talked about last week, how Jude talks about these people, these false teachers in your midst, are they're like hidden blemishes or hidden reefs at your, your fellowship meals when you gather together as a people because you've got these, this... Eleven in your midst. We are profoundly corporate people. That's how we were made to be, even if it is against how we live and move and function so often in our current culture. So we are to remember and we are to reach in, but that's not all that we are to do. We are to reach out as well. Look at verse 22. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment that is stained by the flesh. Like the airplane analogy of the oxygen masks, you put your own on before helping others. You do help others. You do reach. We are to reach out to other people. You think of... It's interesting to think of how Jude would want 
the people to respond to the false teachers that are in their midst. I don't know if you have kids or if you've given advice to other people who have been wronged by somebody. Like they are, their friends were mean to them, maybe, or they didn't get invited somewhere to a party, or maybe it's happened to you and you're trying to, what do you tell people to do in that scenario, right? We, we tell people, I mean, rightly, you're not going to just sit here and be physically harmed. You're not just going to sit and take it and be like, oh, this is just the way that things are. You can, there's a, there's a place for standing up for yourself. There's a place for uh, not letting yourself be walked all over and things like that. But think about how you would expect Jude to respond as a pastor talking to a congregation. Like, how do you respond to these people within your midst? Especially after he's just spent all these verses talking in really like, really shocking language and intense language about the natural end of where these people are headed. And so it's interesting that as he turns, he says, remember, he says, reach in, and he says, reach out by what? By having mercy on those who doubt. By showing mercy to those who doubt. By saving some as though snatching them out of the flames by showing mercy with fear. I mean, God, Jude turns and he says, we reach in and we reach out in mercy to those who are outside the kingdom. And he says this on the heels of saying like, condemnation comes to rejecting Jesus Christ. So this is not a reaching out that is devoid of the truth, but it is a reaching out that has a profound awareness of who we are in Christ. Of what we have been given, which we'll talk about in a moment. It is reaching out with mercy as those who have received mercy. Reaching out in mercy on those who doubt. Snatching others out of the fire. Not just reaching out in mercy, but reaching out in mercy with urgency. Recognizing the supreme importance of what's going on. One who is saved is effectively snatched out of the fire, snatched out of the judgment which is coming at the end of all things. We are to have mercy on those who doubt. We are to snatch others out as though pulling them out of the fire. And we are to show mercy with fear. That's interesting, isn't it? Show mercy with fear, hating even the garment that is stained by the flesh. We reach out as people who are merciful, as people who recognize the state of urgency that we are in, and we reach out and we love and care for people as people who are still weak ourselves and still have sinful proclivities and desires and temptations and weaknesses ourselves. We don't come in as like invincible people with all of the answers. We minister as gentle, merciful, broken people who need to be mindful of that as we're reaching out ourselves. Reaching out to others, loving others, opening up gospel inroads and calls can never be done by us at the risk of our own lives and holiness and watch. You know the ways in which you are tempted to sin. Like You know the ways in which you are particularly prone to weakness. Maybe one example is recovering alcoholics. Some recovering alcoholics are 100% fine hanging out with old friends 
who the like the old crew and the crowd that they ran with, going to the same places, doing the same things. Some recovering alcoholics totally fine with that. Some recovering alcoholics totally not fine with that. That's not an okay thing to do. Because why they they are too they would put themselves in a position that would be unwise for their own life of faithfulness before the Father. So the question to ask there is, what do you struggle with? Where do you struggle with? It's, who do I reach out to? How do I reach out? And what do I struggle with that I can do that in a, in a wise and loving and merciful and holy way? Do you struggle with watching things that you shouldn't watch? You struggle with lustfulness. Maybe you should think twice before going to see a certain movie with the friends that you once watched or walked with. You know? Do you um, do you struggle with like uh, playing golf too much? I don't know. Um, <laughs> maybe you should think twice before continuing to accept all of these invitations because I'm just tempted to continue to, to spend all my money on this, ha- on this habit. Maybe I need to think twice or to bring other people into my life to tell them what's going on and what do I do. How do we reach out? We reach out in mercy. We reach out with urgency and seriousness. And we reach out with caution of our own still present frailties and weaknesses. And this is the call. This is our great calling that Jude issues to us. We're to remember, we're to reach in, and we're to reach out. And we'll move to our second and final point, which will be briefer than the first, and that is our sure confidence. Our sure confidence. Um, There's a problem here, or a potential problem, if we were to stop the sermon right here. There's actually two problems. One is we have not actually exhausted everything that Jude has said. And the second problem is it can seem somewhat satisfying for us to get a list of like things that we need to do. Like practical steps and ways forward in light of what Jude is telling us here, which is very good. I mean, that's, he is giving us practical steps forward. But the danger, the problem here is if, if we just hear this and we start to decide, like we think about those good things, how am I going to read my Bible more? How am I going to pray more? How am I going to reach out more? Um, if we just do that, if you just do that, you will be crushed eventually. Because you are not good at it. Like you will fail. It may be an hour from now. It may be a week from now. You will completely crash and burn in some ways if you just just walk out of here like that. And I mean, we the Bible is clear and it shows us this time and time again. Think of just a couple examples from those who we might expect to be the best at obeying. The disciples, the people who quite literally lived with Jesus like 24 hours a day, saw Him heard him, saw his mannerisms, saw how he interacted with everybody. But, I mean, it's clear the disciples were not shining examples of goodness, right? They were not the best examples of obedience. Think of Peter. Jesus saying to them in Matthew 26, you will fall away because of me this night, saying to Peter, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. He says this to his disciples. 
But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. But Peter answered, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, this very night, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. And then what happened? Jesus, their leader, was delivered over. And they all ran. And what did Peter do? Three times he was asked, hey, you're one of them, right? Like, didn't you walk around with that guy who's who's uh, on trial right now? Three times, Peter said. Once to like a girl, like a little girl. And he says like, no, I wasn't. And he increasingly is more adamant toward he's like, he, he brought it like he... He, uh, he cursed and he swore and he said, no, I am absolutely not. And he does that three times the same day that he just was so adamant to Jesus that absolutely, all, even if I have to die, I will not leave you. Or in Mark 9, when they're walking on the road uh, somewhere and they get to their destination and Jesus has heard the disciples talking in the back and he goes back to them and he's like, hey, what are you guys talking about while we were just walking here? And they're quiet and they don't say anything. Because what were they actually talking about? They were arguing over which one of them is the greatest. Like which one of them is going to be the most important and stuff like that. I mean, literally the follow, the followers of the one who became the most lowly were arguing while they were walking with him about which one of them was the greatest, you know? Or, uh, or Peter again, uh, one chapter earlier in Mark 8, uh, uh, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And they're like, some say John the Baptist, some say Moses, some say Elijah, some say a great teacher. And he goes to Peter and says, who do you say that I am? And Peter goes, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, uh, Simon Bar-Jonah, for uh, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but the Holy Spirit. On this rock I will build my church. And then Jesus goes into foretelling His death and resurrection. And what does Peter do? He pulls Jesus away secretly and he rebukes him. And he starts to rebuke Jesus and saying, stop saying that. Like, there's no way that's going to happen. And how does Jesus respond? Get behind me, Satan. We do not have a good track reference or track record of obedience, even from Jesus' disciples and ourselves. We know what it's like to resolve to do better next time, to resolve to be more obedient next time, and to fail. I mean, think of your besetting sin. Think of the time, the, the, think of something that you have tried to kick and that you have tried to put things in place to help you. You've tried to get accountability. Like you've tried to open it up. You've tried to ask God to change you and you're like, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. And then you fail. You rail on your kids when they drop something. You fly off the handle at your spouse when they do something like seemingly innocuous, right? You go to the internet when you know that you shouldn't. And you watch what you would never want to share in front of anybody. You run to alcohol to numb you, to escape life. Whatever it is, the case is we know that if we try to just take a list of things that we need to do and resolve to do it better, it will crush us. But that's okay. And it's okay because what we've talked about thus far is not the only thing Jude is doing. Jude is also wanting to take us back to week one. He's wanting to take us back two weeks ago to those first two verses of Jude. Because notice something that he's doing. He's actually really intentionally 
picking up themes that he set out right in the beginning there. The love of God, for example. Keep yourselves in the love of God. We talked about this earlier. What did he say at the beginning? Beloved in God the Father. Loved and secured by Him. Keep yourselves in the love of God. What did he say in the beginning? A servant of Jesus Christ, brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Calls us to keep ourselves. He says we are kept. He says, love God. He says that you are loved by God. Or mercy. Look at verse 2. What does Jude kind of wish pray there at the beginning? He says, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. That's actually an atypical introduction in epistles. Normally it's grace and peace, but he switches it to mercy. And why does he do that? Because this theme of mercy is running through and it's, he's going to come to it at the end where he tells us to show mercy and he reminds us of the abundant mercy that is ours in Christ Jesus. What Jude wants to communicate in our call to obedience in this great call, he wants to make sure we remember that it is set within the context of our great confidence in Christ Jesus. Our great confidence in Christ Jesus. This is the only way that the call to obedience must be understood. It's the only way that it can be properly understood because it's only in the context of such sure confidence in God's love and acceptance and provision for you that you can obey to what Jude is calling. It's the only way that we can actually live a life consistent with what Jude is actually calling us to here. Because if we don't do this from a heart that recognizes that you are scandalously and fully loved more than you could ever imagine, that you are accepted no matter what. You are accepted by God, though everybody who is close to you might leave you and forsake you. It changes nothing about what's most important to you. And that is you are accepted by Christ Jesus apart from anything in yourself, but you are Greatly and deeply loved by God. He has chosen you and He has said, you are mine. I will be your God. You will be my child. That's it. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you say. You are mine. I'm grabbing you. That is the only context in which we can obey. That's the only way that our obedience will not crush us. Our strivings for obedience will not crush us. The call to obedience must be understood in the context of the sure confidence that is offered to us in Christ Jesus. And so it's here as we close, we ask, what is God calling you to this morning? How is God calling you to walk? How is God calling us to walk in the times that He has placed us? How is He calling us to reach in, to found our lives upon God's Word, to pray in the Spirit, to strive to keep our love uh, in the love of God, to strive to hope for what's coming at the end? How do we encourage one another to do that? Who is He calling you and how is He calling you to reach out? Do you know your neighbors? Is your life and my life about more than just ourselves. More than just about the day-to-day grind and our jobs 
and extracurricular activities and what's going on. And none of those things are inherently bad. And I'm not trying to berate anybody for it, but is our life, is there that both sides of the coin? Is there this reaching in and reaching out in our lives? And if there's not, I think we have some topics to pray for, to ask ourselves, to think, how is God calling me to live intentionally in the place that I'm at? Among the people that I'm among, what is He calling us to do? Because there is that necessary connection between our love and our action, between our hearts and what we desire and long for and what we do. And Jude calls us to recognize that. He calls us to look at the great confidence that we have in Christ Jesus and then to respond to that with love, adoration for who He is, admonition and encouragement to the one another in the body, and then reaching out to San Ramon and Walnut Creek, Dublin, Oakland, San Francisco, East Bay, the city, the Bay Area, California, the United States, even to the end of the earth. To reach in and to reach out. Our salvation in Jesus Christ compels us to reach in and to reach out. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word to us this morning. We thank You for Your great love for us in Christ Jesus. We thank You that Your calls to obedience before we were believers were hammers. They were instruments of condemnation which showed us how we did not measure up. But we thank You just as much, even profoundly more, that right now as we are partakers of Christ Jesus. We have been made Your children that now calls to obedience are one, pointers to what's been done for us in Christ as we see now in the Lord's Supper. And two, they're great encouragements, freedoms for us to live in the way that we were made to be. And so we pray that You would bless us. We pray that You would equip us for these good works. We pray that You would deeply ground our hearts in the Gospel and that you would show us your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.